electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report this Friday. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The big tech take back as that sector surges to another new high this week. So is it yet another sign that the so-called value trade, which had sown flashes, is done? We'll debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, John Nigerian, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. And Kevin O'Leary is back, the chairman of O'Shares ETFs. Let's take a look at where stocks are currently trading. Been a little bit all over the place, down, managing to get positive by about 32. NASDAQ and S&P pretty much flat. Kevin O'Leary, I begin with you. I say, is this the week that tech took the market back? Because tech is up 2.8%. New all-time high today is the Russell 1000 growth. Russell 1000 value is down one and three quarters percent. Yep. Uh, two, two different themes there. First of all, tech is back because tech is working and tech is empowering the digitization of America. That's not changing. Every time we get the story that we're going to roll out of tech into value, it works for three or four days. And then we go right back to what's really happening in the economy, which is tech platform driving digitization, not only domestically, but globally. It's happening all around the world. And these companies are the ones that are empowering it. So that investment theme is going to be strong right through 2021. Now, the Russell, that's going to be interesting. If you can find companies, because the Russell itself actually has no return on assets. Most of the companies there don't make any money. But if you can find a mid-cap company that has all of its supply chain domestic and its revenues domestic, you have a company you can invest in for the next couple of years that won't be involved in the China war. Because it doesn't matter who wins the election. We're going to war with China. And it's going to have an impact on certain S&P companies. But you can find you know, refuge in the Russell 2000. And I think you have to do your stock picking there. And I've got one of my picks today came out of there in healthcare. But I'm now grooming with a comb, fine-tooth comb through the Russell 2000, looking for opportunities that companies that actually make money, provide distributions, and have nothing to do with China. Yeah. Steph, forget the value trade. I mean, is this the week that we're reminded of why we were in growth in the first place? Well, no, it was not a good week for value or cyclicals. And I would argue that cyclicals are a little bit different than value per se. There's a nuance there, but it wasn't a good week for either of them. Um, And I'm speechless on how every single day tech goes up. I mean, I I can't explain Tesla. I can't even explain Apple. And I own that one, right? Yeah, Tesla's up 25% this week alone. 25% this week alone and 40% in the month of August. And thank God it's not in my benchmark yet because I would be getting hit really hard. But Apple is. Apple's a huge bet for me. um, And so I'm okay with that. But it's the narrow market, Scott, as you're talking about. But it is the market we have. And so we, in order to keep up, you need to own some of these names, especially if you're playing against a benchmark, but also because the fundamentals are really, really good. Valuations aside, the the, the fundamentals are excellent. Market shares, management teams, free cash flow. All of that I get. A lot is priced in. But let me tell you something. Let me just show you something interesting or, or mention something interesting. Off the lows in March, it wasn't just tech that outperformed. So tech was up. The XLK was up 64%. But the metal and mining index, the XME, was up 71% from the lows. XLE up 56% from the lows. XLI up 58%. So my point is you have to find good quality stocks, right? That's the first thing. Fundamentals matter the most. You want to own tech because of the things I just mentioned, but you also do want to pick through some of these other sectors. And as I've mentioned, you want to have a combination of both, especially when we keep getting data. The economic data is actually really good. That housing, those housing it's numbers not real. Well, week but, are off the but, charts. But, but, but that's being very selective, Steph. Come on, right? The housing data is good, but is the housing no. data reflective of the strength of the economy or just a, a, a representative of the, the way people are now living and thinking about their lives for the next many years in a backdrop of, of low rates. Yeah. To, to, to say blanket, the, econ- okay. the, the data is really good is not the case. 
No, okay, you didn't let me finish. You didn't let me finish. So housing has been off the charts. Auto sales are recovering. The consumer, there are haves and have-nots, but you saw what Home Depot and Lowe's posted this week. You saw what Walmart, Target, and Costco posted in digital sales. They've invested for the last five years, and as a result, they're seeing the returns, big-time returns. Kohl's, on the other hand, not so much. TJX, not so much. So there are haves and have-nots within consumer, but consumer, if you have the product, the consumer is spending. It's not perfect, and I was going to offset these positive comments by saying jobs still really stink and it's worrisome and that's why I think you're going to get the fiscal the next fiscal package it's not perfect and I'm not trying to say that it is but there are pockets that are working and those are the areas in addition to technology of where you want to be investing hey Steph the other idea is you know companies are 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 choking if you will on debt I mean that's the commentary I read this morning in in what article and forgive me I can't remember where I saw it and those businesses that are that have a lot of debt you know, in this backdrop of, oh, you know, you get on the other side of this and they're going to be spending money on either human capital or capital improvement expenditures and things like that, which we've been waiting for. Maybe they're not because they're going to be too busy servicing and paying down their debt load, which they've accumulated over the last many years and are now sitting on a pile of. There's, there's no doubt, Scott, in my mind, you do not want to go anywhere close to those kinds of companies. You can own maybe one or two as a speculation if you feel comfortable doing that. But I have always advocated from March lows, you want to find the highest quality companies, the best balance sheets, free cash flow generation, high liquidity, well, well able to cover a dividend, well able to raise a uh, uh, to uh, uh, increase your buybacks or at least sustain your buybacks. So to return cash flow, that's the whole point. You don't need to buy the garbage. You don't need to buy the companies that are saddled in debt. And you have asked me time and again why I do not invest in the airlines as the reopening trade. That's your perfect, perfect example. Yeah. Airlines, for, for, for Steph's example, this week, Jock, uh, American's down 7%, Delta's down 5 United's down 7 I mean, that business is in, in a whole lot of trouble, right? And yet we have technology and growth and all these areas that have gotten us here in the first place. They continue to perform. They hit new highs. And it just raises the question of why make it so difficult on yourself as an investor to look for these value cyclical reopen epicenter, however you want to call that trade. It's hard. It's too hard. You have to be too selective. So why bother? Well, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of managers out there, Scott, and probably a lot of your viewers that are um, trying to pick those uh, those, you know, epicenter stocks and so forth. And uh, to Kevin's point, they work for a few days and then they just kind of stop. And, you know, uh, they say doing the same thing over and over again and, you know, expecting a different result, you know, makes you sort of crazy to think that uh, why would you get a different result until something significantly changes, Scott? Because right now, what is going on in the market is technology rules. And that's why, as you and I talk all the time, my portfolio is overloaded with technology. I mean, you know, and that's not because John's so smart. It's just that I'm sticking with that momentum. Yeah, Scott. you and everybody else, so right? So I can fight. You, you and everybody else. Right. I've got and a, why wouldn't you? No, of course. That, that's part of the point of the conversation. I, I'm looking at a Goldman hedge fund trends, eighth consecutive quarter with the same top five stocks as the most popular positions in the market. Guess what they are? Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Alibaba, and Alphabet. And then, you know, I'm sure Apple is not too far uh, from that tree as well, Doc. Right, right. Exactly, Scott. And you know, one of the reasons CNBC is the behemoth that it is, um, is because people come on here to build brands. And those stocks you just described are brands. You know, whether it's Apple with their ubiquitous products, um, whether it is the searches that go on on Alphabet or call it Google, whether it's Facebook and so forth, all of those are brands, global brands. And so, you know, when you're trying to break into that against those brands, you need some reason, some catalyst. Now, I did some shopping, Scott, recently into uh, a sector that I was just angry at myself for missing. So on a fairly significant dip, I bought back in. They've already started to rally back. That's, you know, the, the Yetis of the world, the camping world with Marcus Limonis, um, with any of the Thor Industries or to Jim Labenthal, the uh, Winnebago. Um, I jumped back into these because I said, I don't see a reason for that to stop. 
I think people continue to spend in that sector. And so on dips, I'll get in there. I mean, you know, Goldman, I love them, Scott, but they're also the same firm that said Apple at whatever over 120 points ago that they put it to a yeah, sell. They're sellers. So I'm I not exactly you. listening to Goldman on that. No, their criticism, too, that, you know, they've been chasers uh, and followers uh, for, for, for certain. All right, Shannon, how do you see things? You've taken everybody's opinion now into perspective before you give your own. Does it shape the way in, in any way that you think about where we are and what investors should be doing with their money right now? Investors should be thinking about what their expectations are for the next six months or so. And, and I, I hear what everybody's saying, and I agree. I agree uh, with Steph on some of the improving economic data. Um, I'm a bit concerned about the stagnation in consumer confidence that we've seen over the last few weeks. And I think that plays into the uncertainty as it relates to the next fiscal stimulus package, um, stimulus payments. Uh, clearly, if you look at Walmart's comments, they feel that stimulus payments and extended employment, unemployment benefits certainly helped them. Um, if you look at the fact that we're ha we haven't seen the evictions that we potentially expect to see. But the real challenge here is that for cyclicals to rebound, we don't necessarily need to just have a consumer recovery. For cyclicals to rebound and us hit escape velocity on the U.S. economy, we need to see corporations, to your point, many of which are heavily debt-laden, reinvest in the economy. And so without that second leg of this CEO confidence, which we see if you look at it, it's off the charts right now, is that going to translate into greater capbacks? Is it going to translate into greater hiring, innovation, productivity improvements? Because that's what we need here. Monetary stimulus can continue to push stock prices up. It cannot create an inflection point in the U.S. economy. And for cyclicals to join the party, that's what I think we need. So, you know, Kevin O'Leary, when, when we have this conversation and you lay out all of the reasons why you think growth is the better place to be, um, how do you justify buying Disney, which you just recently did, uh, in a backdrop of comments you made on this program the last time you were on in July and then in May that this was a stock you didn't want to go near in the pandemic? Yes, I said I had a target of 97 on it, but then something changed and I changed. I'll tell you what that something was. When I finally see after decades of this madness where you can't release your tentpole film on digital streaming until it's gone through the theaters for four months, that stupidity has finally ended. The AMC breakdown, the deal they did with the mothership right here at Comcast and NBC, where now they're sharing revenues on streaming. I mean, let's just take a film like James Bond. Why delay that or Top Gun? Theaters are dead. They're going to go to zero. They're going to be just like the places you went to rent videotapes from decades ago. Let's get over it. We can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but they are el morte. They're going to zero. And we have to realize that companies like Disney that are producing content that should go immediately to streaming, immediately, as soon as it's released, all around the world, that's a big opportunity. And finally, I'm seeing a crack in that marble. Hollywood studios have figured out we're getting killed waiting for our distribution partners to reopen because they may never reopen the way they were. That's the change that really got me back on the Disney bandwagon. Also, I think we're in the sixth inning of the pandemic. I'm hopeful for therapeutics and a vaccine sometime next year that will help Disney. And also, they're opening up globally. Things aren't looking as bad. So the big change, though, is in the digital margin. When you can release a massive film online all around the world, that's cash flow. And I love cash flow. And Disney doesn't, can bypass those dead theaters. They're walking dead zombies. We should bulldoze those and turn them into data centers or cold storage facilities or whatever they're going to be. But stop worrying about them. Let them die. They're begging to die. Well, and that's the big change. So we, we heard from, you know, Dan Loeb. And when I spoke with him, I had mentioned in the last couple of weeks or so when it was revealed that they took a position there that, yes, the streaming opportunity is viewed um, as, as, as the biggest opportunity by some that has existed for this company in, in an awfully long time. Shannon? You, you own the stock, so I, I suppose you agree with, with everything Kevin said. It's interesting, though, that Kevin you know, has, has made this move after what his commentary has been of late. I do. I, I, 
I, you know, Kevin, I appreciate you coming in and coming on board, um, certainly, <laughs> to the Disney trade. Uh, it's been a tough one to be in over the last couple of months. I, you know, I think what's happening, Scott, is not dissimilar to what we see with other companies, is that streaming was the excitement in the last six months of last year. And if we're going back to an environment that looks more similar to what that environment looks like, and we potentially get some cash flow, if Disney can um, manage to uh, continue to attract investor capital when they've cut their dividend, when their parks revenue has been essentially non-existent, um, and when sports as an advertising revenue source for them has also been essentially non-existent. Now we're starting to see improvement in those other two cash flow streams. So we're going back to why this was a growth stock in the second half of last year, rather than what feels like an expensive value stock right now. And so I do think you're going to start to see more enthusiasm for Disney. I think there's still going to be some you know, fits and starts here on park revenue that we need to watch from a cash flow perspective. But they're willing to churn money to grow streaming. And I think that that's going to be rewarded. Kevin, you also bought Disney, which I find, in, I mean, I'm sorry, a Visa. Um, Again, it's a sort of a, a bet. You ha this has to be a bet on the consumer. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, I, I, I have an advantage, I guess. I have this index of 51 private companies, and my assumption was we'd start to see the consumer slow. And I, I get the tear sheets every week on revenue and free cash flow. I do not see a slowdown yet, Scott. Whether it's a result of, you know, all the assistance that came through the PPP and the other ways of providing support during the transition which the is economy, dried up now which is dried the up consumer now. remains strong and yeah I know that but you know what I think is going to happen is that the, maybe they'll abandon PPP so they're not supporting small businesses and I agree with that because the market can do its own thing and there's a, a mountain of private capital that wants to go to work through the bankruptcy process of the companies that aren't going to make it but I think there'll be another stimulus package directly for unemployment and I think that's the trade I'm looking for on Visa. It's almost like a, um, a, a, a virus stock in the sense that if therapeutics get announced and we also get a vaccine, you're going to see an uptick in consumers getting out there and doing what they used to do. Maybe I'm ahead on that trade. Maybe I'm ahead. But, but it's one of those stocks that I want to own when the economies come, come swinging back. And I, I don't see the consumer rolling over yet. I'm amazed. I got tear sheets I could show you that would blow you away. I'm selling stuff in, in private companies to home gyms, well, for example. Well, I don't know, Kevin. Supplies Maybe and, if you get your wish and they let every small business ju just go to hell, then, then the consumer would roll over. I, I don't know. You know, you're, you're, you're betting on the I consumer. I didn't say every small business, Scott. No, yes, you did. In, you, in my yeah, own you, portfolio, I'm going to lose 20% of my companies. I'm going to go to zero with 20% of my private portfolio. There's nothing I can do or you can do, or the government can do to save them because the consumer's preference on how they purchase and what they purchase has changed. They're just no. not going to be the same, and those businesses are going to die. They're in travel, they're in entertainment, they're in food services. I can't help them, they're dead. Oh, so, and so, I don't want so the government every, taking my tax dollars and helping them. The last thing I want to do is have a conversation with you about this, but I mean, for the record, I mean, you, uh, you just want to let every restaurant in this country die, Kevin? Is that what you want? And that, that's going to be better for the consumer? The cons everybody's going to be great? Scott, Scott, do you want to sing Kumbaya with me? The, the economy is changing. Let it change. I so don't we don't need restaurants anymore? Restaurant that's never going to be profitable. We don't need restaurants let, anymore? Look, we don't need any of these other small businesses anymore? And we're going to let everybody fail? And then the consumer's still going to have money to spend? And the stock market's just going to be fine? Scott, not everybody's going to fail. 20% are going to fail, and they're going to die not because of just the pandemic. Get over that part. There is a change in consumer preference. Everybody's still eating 2,200 calories a day. They're just buying it a different way. Go support the way they're buying it, the digital delivery, the, you know, the grocery guy that can deliver, whatever it is. But I'm telling you, for, you're not going to get what you had a year ago. It's going to be a different America 2.0, a digitized America, and not everybody's going to make it. And my whole point is, let the market be the market. Let those things that are going to die, die, and those employees will support them through the transition. Well, then That's how capitalism works. To, get over it. To hell, with the, to hell with every retailer except for Walmart and Target and Costco and mm -hmm. a couple of others. Mm -hmm. To hell with everybody else. That's what you're saying. Scott, that's they not didn't really go what digital. he's saying. They didn't no, that, that is they didn't John what he's saying. Direct to customer. That is John what he's saying. No, I, he's no, saying listen, 20 it's not percent. everyone. He it's says 20 percent will yes, fail. 20 percent. I'm that sorry. That means 80 percent will survive. Do you have a parade because he says just 20 percent? 
Just 20% yes, of all the small businesses make it. in this That's country fantastic. are going to fail? <clears throat> Look, they are. They are. That's what's going to happen. And the employees are going to find Scott, jobs um, in companies that are growing. John, go ahead. Scott, one of the issues, uh, um, and I'm not happy about it. I'm sure Kevin's not happy about it. None of us root for uh, restaurants to fail, for airlines to fail, like, you know, people have come on here and said we should just let them fail. Um, but it's a recognition of, as Kevin said, the way things are changing. If 20% do fail, my heart goes out to these entrepreneurs that are going to be crushed by that. But the, the lockdowns are the major contributor to this, Scott. I mean, when we shut down the economy, a lot of these folks are going to fail. Now, if it's only 20% instead of a much larger number, I'll be surprised, quite frankly, Scott, because I don't know where they're going to get funding uh, to reopen some of these. Now, nail salons, different story. But you and I have been to you know, some of these restaurants where people put in $5 million, $10 million to get these restaurants going. Are you telling me that you're going to see that happen again? Not for years, Scott. Not for years and years. Some of those failures will be closed and those spaces will be used for something other than restaurants because you're not going to see the same risk capital go into those places. And I hope it is less than 20%, but my gut tells me it's more than that. Yeah. Let, let's move on. Um, Stephanie Link, the, the other issue I wanted to, to get to w within the market is the, the so-called bad breath that we've been seeing. Um, mm. A small number of stocks carrying the load for the entire story. Jonathan Krinsky is going to come on with us in just a second. He says there are a, a 102 names in the NDX, right? The top six have as much weight as the bottom 96. Okay, you got me there? So, yeah. yes, Fang plus the amazing eight or, or whatever Carl said in the, in the prior hour um, is the market. It's the whole market. And actually, I cited that last month for July. Those names accounted for 85% of the returns in the S&P 500. So, yes, I totally, I hear it, I see it, I feel it as a portfolio manager. And why I said before, you have to embrace it. You have to still pick stocks, but you have to embrace it. You can't fight it. Because I have huge, the S&P 500, technology in general, that's my benchmark, it is 26% weighting. If I go underweight, that means I'm actually net short in technology. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be there. I actually am trying to find some names that are maybe off the beaten path, but also I want to own some of the names that I very much believe in long term. We talk about it all the time. I sold Facebook. By the way, that was wrong. It still has gone up, but I feel good that I took a huge gain. I was buying it in the 80s a couple of years ago. So I'm trying to be prudent with what I own, but I'm also trying to be aware that this trend could continue for a while. I do think you will have some sort of a shift with longevity to cyclicals if you believe what I believe, and if you do think that we are seeing a gradual recovery in the economy. We talked about that. Cyclicals are different than value, though, and there are a lot of value traps out there. Cyclicals, you can buy the quality companies, and you could buy the number one or number two positioning, positioned company in any industry on the cyclical side, and you're probably going to do darn well over the long period of time. Are, is it going to outperform tech? Maybe it, it, it fits and starts in points of time, but I do think you want to have diversification. That is investing 101. Yeah. Shannon, the other, the other amazing stat within all of this is the bottom 96, of which I mentioned within the NDX. They could go down 1% each day, and as long as the top six names go up 1.1%, the NASDAQ would still go higher. I mean, it just tells you everything about where we are. I'm not suggesting either that that, that means that the market has to go lower, but by no means. The, the market is voting. It, it doesn't care a, about that and, until it does, and I don't know when that's going to be. But that's the risk that you've been citing for a couple of months, Scott. I mean, talking about, you know, if there's a misstep in one of these names, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens in the rest of the, of the market. And I would say the best insulation to the concentration that we're seeing at the top would be for a, a proof of a cyclical recovery. Because right now, those stocks just getting more expensive doesn't give anyone a catalyst or an incentive to move to other parts of the market. Even if we see them pull back, you know, for a couple of days, you get a three or four or five percent 
pull back in one of these names, you see people coming back in. And so without that catalyst and without that incentive, that's really the true insulation. It's not necessarily continued phenomenal results from these companies, although I do agree with Steph that they're fundamentally strong. The insulation will come when there is an incentive and a catalyst to reallocate to other names. And we're talking about the NDX, right? We're not even talking about the S&P 500 here. There are great names in the rest of that benchmark that are innovative and growing. So, but I think we need to see something other than these stocks are just getting expensive as the catalyst for that reallocation. Well, right, Kevin, the, the winners keep winning, right? Tesla, for example, goes over $2,000 a share. Um, so the divergence between the amazing eight and everything else grows wider. Now, is, is that healthy? or not, does it even matter? That's the question I ask with, with no opinion put forth on, the, on, on the, the answer. What do you think? You know, that's a really interesting question, Scott, because take Tesla. You know, you, you remember I bought that thing in the 200s uh, a year ago, July, and it's in a mandate where I'm forced to every 90 days trim any position back to 5%. That stock has been driving me crazy. I have to do it every 48 hours. I mean, it is an incredible story, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you have to let risk mitigate and, and grow inside your portfolio. You can trim. Now, obviously, had I held that stock in its full weighting, it would be almost 20% of that mandate now, which I just can't, I can't do. I have to, any individual position has to be no more than 5%. But it's been a huge winner for me, but the discipline of being forced into those mandate rules has made this a tremendous ownership position and is continuing to be very powerful in generating returns. Concentration, if you're willing to let it happen in your portfolio and let four or five names be 80% of your holdings, is a wonderful thing while it's working. And when the poo-poo hits the fan, you feel the pain. So I would tell investors, be disciplined, set a limit, whatever it is, for me it's 5%, and trim back these names. Even though you won't outperform the index, you will have safety there. Yeah. You will build a cash position that you can reinvest when a correction hits, if it ever does. But meanwhile, these are the names that are working. And by the way, also driving the digitization. They deserve to be winners because they're prov Imagine we got into this pandemic without these companies, without the technology to work and deliver and provide services to people digitally. We would have been in real trouble. And that's why they're being rewarded so well. All right. Let's bring in uh, now Jonathan Krinsky, the uh, aforementioned technician with Baycrest Partners, joins us once again on the phone. Uh, Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks, Scott. Uh, maybe you have the answer for us, whether it matters at all for the stats that you laid out today, which I already cited. And oh, by the way, the fact that 57 percent of the S&P is still negative uh, year to date. Does, does any of it matter for where stocks go from here? Well, we've been talking about this breath paradox, and, and the more lopsided that the internals get, the less that bad breath matters. But I think it's important to note it's not really that breath is that bad. Um, if we're talking about the NASDAQ 100, you know, there's still 70% above the 50-day, almost 80% above the 200-day. So it's not that breath is bad on an absolute basis. It's just as bad relative to those six names you mentioned. And I think, um, you know, the risk is that if and when those – do turn down, then breadth won't, just like it hasn't mattered on the upside, it won't matter on the downside. So you can have this rotation we've all been looking for or talking about, um, and it won't really matter to the market cap indices, namely the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P uh, 500. Now, one other thing we looked at, we're getting, you know, we've seen a lot of stats that compare these internals relative to what they were back at the peak in 2000. And yesterday's, yesterday's internals were something we haven't seen since 2000, since March of 2000. Um, the, the weighting in these top six names is actually more extreme than it was in 2000. Now, you could make the argument that fundamentals are better, and I think we can all agree that's the case, but, uh, you know, the, the dispersion is, is a concern. And specifically when we talk about the biggest uh, name in the market right now, Apple, it's now 57% above its 200-day moving average. That's the widest spread since October 07. Um, but the, the big one to us is the 20-day rate of change is now 32%. That's the biggest 20-day rate of change we've seen since March of 09. This is not typically what you see when, when a stock is at a, a high. You typically see that type of, of um, performance coming off a major low like we did in 09. So this to me is a bit of, of a, a parabolic move. You can also see the volume today. We're, we're going to trade about $80 billion of notional value in Apple. Um, that's going to be more than even its post-earnings day. And there's really no news today. There's a stock split coming up next week. So I think you add it all up. It just gives you a bit of a frothy 
picture for, for Apple and a lot of these top six names. But at the same time, what you're saying, it sounds to me, is it doesn't matter until it matters. And if, if these stocks have no catalyst to turn downward, then the dispersion and the divergence doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, look, when things go parabolic, um, there is no one and set answer for when that ends. But I think, again, when you look historically, and we have, you know, 30 plus years of data on Apple, we've never seen uh, a move of this magnitude with the stock moving into its into a, a 52-week or let alone all-time high, let alone the fact that it's now uh, 14% of the NASDAQ, 6% of the S&P, something we also have never seen before. So yes, when, you, when you're talking about situations that are uh, historically rare. It's very difficult to, to know when that will end. Um, but I think you just have to be aware of, of what is going on. And again, the, the bigger issue is if and when it turns, breath will not be there to cushion us on the way down. It just right. won't matter. But the flip side of that is there is opportunity, right? There, there's names. You, know, you guys mentioned Visa. That's a name that we like. That's really, it's not extended like some of the FANG names, but it's a, it's a high growth name that um, just looks to be breaking out. So I think it's just uh, to be aware of, of what's actually going on in the index, but also just, um, uh, you know, to look for some other opportunities that maybe aren't so extended. Yeah. Love the way you help us look inside the market. Jonathan, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you again. Thanks, Pat. All right. That's Jonathan Krinsky of, of Baycrest. Steph, um, the, the floor is yours. So doesn't matter until it matters. I think it matters. I do. I think you, I, as I said before, I think you have to really um, be diversified and you have to be really aware when everyone gets on one side of trade, it would, it, it, when it ends, and I do not know when it ends, it may not end, right? I mean, because as we've, I've, I've said it endlessly about the total addressable markets and the growth potential that all of these companies have within technology. And there are new pockets within technology that we're just even learning about. I mean, maybe people have owned Zoom for the past two years, but I bet most people didn't even know it until we had the pandemic, right? So it is these kinds of uh, subsectors that fuel the growth and that fuel the participation. People get excited. It's the Peter Lynch way of investing. Totally get it. But when everybody's on one side, you have to be aware of that. And that's why I say you ha I want to have a b bigger balance in my portfolio because I can sleep at night knowing that I have some real cheap stocks, quality stocks, good dividend yields, good growth, but they may be in the cyclical component. I can offset that with all of these other names that I will own that I like and that I'll continue to support until the fundamentals actually change. Yeah. I mean, you could say, I, I'm picturing this in my head, right, the, that everybody's on one side of the boat, and, you know, whether it's, you know, typical investors or um, younger investors, even the hedge funds are so heavily concentrated. The reason why the boat doesn't tip is because the Fed is on the other side of the boat. And, and all of those external forces are on the other side of the boat which keeps the boat floating along and along and along. And, as, and look, the, the Fed, no one should believe or think, because we know they're not thinking about thinking about thinking about doing anything, that that dynamic is going to change anytime, anytime soon. Steph, before we take a break, um, FIS, Fidelity National Services, mm -hmm. is a new position for you. Tell us why. Yeah, I've owned it in the past, um, and I just, uh, I really like this company a lot. They're a payment services provider. Some say it's a digital bank enabler. So they provide electronic banking services and solutions for many uh, financial institutions. Um, I like it for three reasons. 75% of its revenues are tied in the U.S. I like that. 75% of their total revenues are recurring revenues. I really like that. And then in 2019, they bought uh, WorldPay. And so not only do they get size and scale and diversification with their customer base, but they also have huge cost synergies, 700 million that they said they were going to do this year. They've already done it year to date. And then the revenue synergies, 550 million over the next two years. So I like that cushion of having kind of uh, the, the cost synergies too, because that'll protect margins. And they have 20% of their business is COVID impacted for sure, Merchant Solutions. But I think as you come out of that, that the, uh, they have time on the margin side until we come out of that. And then when we come out of that, I think you'll have an inflection on growth. Okay. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break. Before we do, check out this mystery chart. It's up 40% in a year. It's right around its all-time highs. However, there's a bearish call today on it. We'll talk about that next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Let's get the headlines now with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Attorney General William Barr is, quote, vehemently opposed, end quote, to a pardon for former NSA contractor Edward Snowden. That's according to the Associated Press. President Trump has said he is considering a pardon for Snowden, who revealed details of a secret U.S. surveillance program. He is in Russia to avoid prosecution. A judge has accepted a plea deal for fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, sentencing him to five months in prison for paying bribes to get his daughters admitted to USC. His wife, actress Lori Loughlin, will be sentenced later today. Her plea deal calls for two months in prison. And with a plane standing by, Russian doctors have now cleared the way for Russian opposition leader Alexei Nalvani to be flown to Germany for further medical treatment. They say Nalvani is in a medically induced coma, but there is no immediate threat to his life. They also say, despite suspicions of Nalvani's supporters, he was not poisoned. Watching that story very closely, Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. We have a bullish call today on Salesforce, a bearish call. I should say, initiated with a rare sell at Loop Capital. The analysts there saying the company is experiencing a material slowdown in its business that could linger through next year. It's our call of the day. You don't get sell calls on Salesforce very often, Shannon, which I know you own. What do you make of this call? These stocks overvalued? I think when you look at Salesforce versus some of its smaller cap peers, which are one and a half to two times um, what, it's, what it's trading at. No, I don't, I don't actually think it's all that overvalued. I, I can see the concerns here, and we are certainly going to be interested in the small business spend um, and see if that remains constructive into next year or how much of a slowdown that might be. But I look at Salesforce as being um, sort of this, this part of a business that drives everything from business development, client relationships, but also workflows. And as we see more employees outside of the office, this is a way to actually keep your business running. And so even if there is a short-term slowdown, I view this as a company that you want to own longer term, to Kevin's point, as it relates to the digitization of our economy. All right. Steph, you, uh, you own Salesforce too, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's been writing about enterprise spend being weak. We, we, we know that. Look, this is the number you need to know. They're the leader in SaaS Cloud, and SaaS Cloud's end market is a trillion dollars. They're the leader, and they have such a great management team. They've got a great free cash flow. The number you need to pay attention to on the quarter is this thing called the current remaining performance obligation. It's just a leading, it's a fancy way of saying leading indicator of bookings. The street is at 16%, the company is guiding 15 to 20, so at the low end of the range, and that implies only a 5% year-over-year bookings growth number. That would be very, very low. So that, those are the two numbers I'm paying attention to, but this is noise. If it's weak, I would buy more because of the long-term growth in the t total addressable market. Yeah, I know, Kevin, you own it. Uh, John, you think the call's surprising as well. But let's get to Rahel. She's with us today again with a couple more calls that we need to discuss. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. And this first call is perfect for a Friday afternoon. So Cowan is naming Boston beer as a topic. It's being maintained at Outperform with a price target of a thousand bucks from 825. So analysts expect advertising and promotion spend to decelerate while sales in the hard seltzer category remain strong, especially the truly brand the note pointing out that despite record low AMP in the second quarter, revenues grew by 42 percent and Scott, looking at the stock's performance, it notched a fresh all-time high today. Sam has also decisively outperformed its rivals year-to-date, up a whopping 130%. In comparison, Constellation Brands, Molson Coors, and Anheuser-Busch are all still in the red for 2020, with Coors and AB InBev both down more than 30%. S.A. Lauder getting an upgrade to buy from neutral, this time at D.A. Davidson, raising their price target there to 231 from 183. So analysts note that, yes, results from last quarter were worse than fear, but that's now in the rear view. The company also has a handle on what's to come by way of guidance. And, Scott, analysts also really like a newly announced plan to accelerate the shift to online. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. Uh, Steph, give me a quick comment on Estee, which you own. 
Yeah, I do own it. I like it. And I would definitely be a buyer with it down 7%. Um, Americas were terrible, 54, down 54%. It's only 12% of their business. And the CEO is notoriously conservative. So she was very, very conservative. Once again, China was up 50%. E-commerce was up triple digits. And skincare beat by seven percentage points. Those are your value drivers. Those are the reasons why I own it. And so that's why I would definitely be a buyer on the weakness. Today right. it's up a little bit, but it's still down uh, in two days. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Coming up, John's following unusual activity like he always does in the options market. He's gives, he'll give us his new trades coming up. First, though, I'll show you the S&P sector heat map right now. S&P is good for about four, led by technology. You can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Back, Pinterest shares are up over 30% in a month. John has his eye on some unusual activity there as well. Tell our viewers and the faithful, John, what you see. All right, Scott. Yeah, Pinterest, P-I-N-S. This has been um, a frequent flyer on our unusual activity report, Scott. And the people, whoever they are, that are buying this one um, ahead of news have been right, right, and right. So... With us seeing October 34 calls being bought aggressively today, I jumped on those, Scott. Again, since that's October, I'll probably be in those at least a month, maybe six weeks. Second one, wow, with those home builder stats that uh, we talked about on the network earlier, this is a huge beneficiary, DR Horton. Um, we see big activity out there in uh, January, Scott, at the 80 strike. Uh, they're buying over 10,000 of these calls at the 80 strike. That's a million share equivalent. That's a longer term trade. I think I'll ride that one as long as I can into the end of the year. Scott. All right. Stephanie Link, quickly, you're, you're long DR. DR Horton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this, the, uh, the stock actually uh, is up 44% on the year. I get it. It's, it's had a nice run, but it's trading at 14 times. Uh, they are in the sweet spot. They're landlight. They're entry homes. Great management team. I think the order numbers are going to inflect higher, especially after what we saw this week in terms of existing home sales uh, and, um, and permits as well. All right. Good stuff. Coming up, GE extending CEO Larry Culp's contract for another four years. The stock down more than 40% since Mr. Culp took over almost two years ago. And one of our experts, as you know, owns the stock. Another one has a strong opinion. I wonder who that is. We'll debate it when we come back on the half. We're back. GE extending CEO Larry Culp's contract through August of 2024. That company also approved a new performance-based stock grant for Mr. Culp as well. Steph, you own it. Um, Steve, too, is an interesting note. He reiterates his neutral today. $5 price target. Uh, says we're surprised. What do you think? I'm not surprised that the CEO gets an extension. And quite frankly, I think last year Larry Culp did a very good job um, in, especially in free cash flow improvement. And that's the reason why the stock actually rallied last year 55%. 
look, turnarounds take time, and it's not, it doesn't, it's not helpful that all of a sudden we have a pandemic, and we have the uh, airline industry in collapse. You have the 737 MAX on hold. So those were real headwinds into going into 2020. They weren't execution issues by Larry Culp and team. He's done a pretty good job with what he's had. I think that the recovery, because of the pandemic, the recovery in this stock is going to take, it's now pushed out a little bit, um, but I still believe 2021 you'll see better free cash flow growth, and that's what the stock trades on, and that's going to be derived from healthcare, a- aviation, and aftermarket, and that's not changed. Um, and I would just say that I expected this to take a long time. I right-sized the position on purpose. I made it a, a smaller position, but I have patience to wait because I do believe the leverage here is very good when it will turn. Can, can you remind me off the, if, off the top of your head, if you, if you do know it, forgive me if you don't, as to where, where you got into the name? Yeah, so I started to get into it at 10, and then I average cost down. So my average cost basis is 821. So I'm down 22% on the trade. That's not, that's not, does not feel good. But I'm not down 44%, which is what the stock is down this year. I think he's going to come out of this, and I think the stock has a nice chance to recover. Again, if the, if the macro recovers and if the airline uh, industry also recovers Kevin, to some degree. Kevin, why not bet on the macro recovering? Why not bet uh, on Mr. Culp's ability to turn this company around? This is a name where money goes to die. Really, this is a, it's, it's got huge balance sheet issues. So many analysts can't even understand the balance sheet. I gave up a long time ago. I'll tell you why I'm happy that he got performance-based options, because there is one strategy to get out of this mess alive. I mean, this is the Wells Fargo of industrials. It's so tainted from its past. And I'm not saying he's not a great manager, but if he wants to create value, take the pieces of this, because what do aircraft have to do with health care? Chop it up, sell it off, and take the rest behind the barn and shoot it. You ever want to see this stock get anywhere near the teens? That's the only way you're going to do it. This thing is so tainted that it'll never be an interesting... Look, maybe it's a value play, a shot in the dark. I mean, I, I remember sit, when, in the old days when we used to sit beside each other, I used to argue with Steph about this name. Well, I used to own it in the 20s. And it got into it. It, it is so the, tainted. The irony. By, maybe you think that's an opportunity. I, well, I'll say this. I mean, the irony of your argument is that it sort of plays into Steph's hands in, in, a, in a strange way. When you call it the Wells Fargo of industrials, Steph would say that's exactly why I'm in this name. Or something, something like that. Steph, am but I on to something here? Is, I know you. The con- Conglomerates you can't have, have gone too out many of favor. You don't have synergy between healthcare and aircraft engines. Look, look, look the point being free cash flow. Steph, Steph, the point being that that where others see a lost cause in wells, you see a tremendous upside opportunity. That's why you're in that name. Maybe the same way that where others see what Kevin says is quote unquote a crime scene. You can see long enough to try and get to the other side of that. But you tell me rather than me tell you. Well, no, it's absolutely well, very well said. I mean, you know me by now, Scott. I don't have too many of these really d- deep down and kind of dirty sort of names. And you have to keep the position sizes um, um, in, a, in, a, in a range where you feel comfortable, where you can actually sleep at night. Because it may not go my way. It really may not, right? And last year it went my way, and I got lucky. And I did trim a little bit. Not enough. But this year, I felt like we, the, the company, GE, was even in better shape because the free cash flow was already turning. And then you had the macro come down, and it just got crushed. And so I understand why, but I do believe when the macro gets better, he is the right person for this job. And whether he spins off, splits out, I don't care what he's going to do, but he's going to do something to create value. He has done it in the past. Remember his past. Danaher, and yeah. remember how great of a stock and a stock price that was. So, and Wells, you know, you know me. No, <laughs> I'm, I get I'm it. a sucker for a really good CEO. Hey, and, I get the, it. and both of them are. Sometimes you got to bet on the operator as much, if not more, than the operation. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. We'll make that the last word. Let's do the futures outlook now. If we could, silver is sliding lower after a volatile trading week. Investors have been pouring into that, as you know, along with gold. The question is, where does it go from here? Let's bring in Scott Nations of Nations Indexes, Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Scott Nations, fundamentals, are they on silver side? They absolutely are. This is the perfect environment for all of the precious metals. You can't say that very often uh, with negative real interest rates. And so even I got long precious metals recently. And Scott, you really can't say that. Uh, very often. We've talked about that on the show, but the fundamental picture is going to change now because we know what the interest rate situation is, and the rest of the fundamentals 
have to help Silver along because the rest of the world is reopening. Again, we know what the interest rate picture is going to be going forward. So absent some substantially better fundamental news, I think Silver will continue higher, but it's going to be a grind higher and it will be solely because of the interest rate situation. And, and the technicals from your perspective, Bill? We love silver and gold at Blue Line Futures, but here's what you got to know is you cannot chase yourself around in this stuff. You got to pick your spots. Seasonally, silver and gold cool off as we head into September and into the first half of December. And then when this market moved and ripped higher, a lot of enthusiasm behind it. But as you can see in the chart, it hit a big 50% retracement, psychological resistance at 30 bucks. What I need to see right now is I need to see a pullback. $23 is where I want to be a buyer. And if it stays above 21, I think that's constructive, lays groundwork to see a breakout above $30 in the first half or the first quarter of next year. All right, gents. Good stuff. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Good weekend. Coming up, final trades. And tonight, don't forget, 6 Eastern, Kramer's out. We do have you covered, though. It's summer school again. We're taking your questions. The dynamic duo, Frank Holland, Josh Brown, they'll do that tonight, 6 p.m. on CNBC. Don't miss that. Welcome back. Before we do final trades, let's talk deer. That's an all-time high today. Stock's up 5.5%. Beat expectations. It's the second best performer, Steph, in the S&P 500 today, which makes you awfully happy. It does make me awfully happy. So for every GE, there is a deer. I was going <laughs> to say that. I was literally going mean, to say it- that. I didn't want to go there, but I was, was going to say that. <laughs> Look, I'm humble. I get it. I admit when I'm not right. I'm going to be right on it, though. But anyway, back to deer. Wow, what a quarter. What a quarter. I mean, I knew tractor sales were starting to improve sequentially because we get monthly data. Tractor sales in North America were up 34% year over year. Combines were up 36% year over year. That kind of thing gets me very excited. But they beat on the top and the bottom line. Operating profit, actually, in the ag and turf business, the most important, rose 50% year on year. And margins expanded 630 basis points in the quarter. They're doing all the right things. They have technology in place. They're gaining market share. This is absolutely going higher. I actually much prefer it over Caterpillar. I own both um, for different reasons, but these guys are really doing it well. It's poetic, really. Deer hits an all-time high, Steph, on farmer Jim Labenthal's <laughs> birthday. Can you believe? I mean, the stars <laughs> were aligned. Birthday. Happy birthday, farmer Jim. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday, Jim. Yeah. All right, Shannon, you get the first final trade. <laughs> Alibaba, um, huge rise in the middle class in China, which is also why we own Estee Lauder, but that's my trade for today. All right, good stuff. Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. Shopify continued digitization of America, and when you put your business on Shopify, you get 100% gross margin. You don't pay Amazon anything. Yeah, uh, it's been a, a remarkable year for Shopify, just one of those high-flying growth stocks uh, with tremendous performance. Dr. J, John Najarian, what do you have for me? Existing home sales, uh, second month in a row with a record, Scott. I talked about Dr. Horton for unusual activity. I also bought Lenar, L-E-N. That's my final trade. And off to the races has that space. Doc, thank you for that. Stephanie Link, last but not least. So Johnson and Johnson, I'm kind of kind of scratch my head because the stocks really hasn't done anything this year. But they beat the last three quarters, raised guidance in the last yeah. three quarters. They raised the dividend. Really good quarter, so from 2Q, I'm, I'm buying that one. Big today. hopes for a vaccine, too. Guys, thank you. It's nice to see everybody. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.